0: This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 231, Athens. I'm Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing. Two good friends of mine helped me cap off our five-week trip around the globe this week. Philip Martin serves as preacher and shepherd for the Eastside Church of Christ in Sharpsburg, Georgia. Check out his work at gospeldefender.com and tacticalpreacher.com. Brant Moody preaches for the Decker Prairie Church of Christ in the suburban Houston area. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss Paul's short preaching trip to Athens and the role education plays in our walk with Christ, for better and for worse. Paul's work in Athens is a bit of an anomaly. A culture known worldwide for its regard for thinking and for religion didn't seem to give the gospel of Jesus Christ much thought. The response to Paul's famous sermon on Mars Hill stirred up some conversation among the intelligentsia, but little more than that. How is it that such smart people can act so dumb in the presence of the Word of God? And what can we do to buck that trend?
1: Brent, you're the smart one. You get to go first.
0: (laughs) Well... It's
2: interesting that Paul does generate some interest and it it seems like the interest is a little split. I mean, you've got some who I think are really just out to get him. It looks like, you know, the Epicureans probably based on what they believed and who they were probably weren't real interested um, in hearing Paul as much as they were just accusing him. Um, But he does have some success at the end, which is sort of an interesting thing. You know, in Athens, we, it's, you wouldn't expect that, I think, in such a pagan-driven city. Um, but he manages to convince a couple people, which is, um, to me, is encouraging. <laughs> at least, given everything that you know, we go through as as preachers and what we're trying to do, and feel like sometimes, man, this situation's hopeless, or nobody's going to listen to us. And yet, you know, Paul converts a couple pagans here. The way he does it is pretty remarkable as well. Um, I think it's almost more interesting than the things he doesn't talk about. He never talks about Abraham or Jesus or the law of Moses or any of that, you know, and still he he converts these two people. So, yeah, I, I think to me, it's just encouragement. We we live in a world of elitism and we feel like sometimes it's really hard to break through, but, you know, we have an example of Paul doing that very thing here.
1: Yeah, I think it's also a challenge in that whatever we think elevates a person to being called intelligent or smart or um, powerful. Um, These labels and stamps that we put on others, um, we never put on ourselves. And in that conflict of figuring out how to solve the problem and how to acknowledge what's good and holy and righteous in these dialogues, um, we can't see any possibility of us failing or someone who is educated or powerful uh, submitting. We, we just don't see that dynamic occur in a way that makes sense to us. And so I think it's always important to recognize Paul himself is very well-read. Um, he's obviously well-read in spite or in concert with his inspiration. He cites and works with uh, the philosopher's outside of Judea um, in a very comfortable way. Don't know how he does that. We know he does. Um, and in that context, he's really pulling on all these strings that should be pulling at our own heartstrings to figure out, hey, hey, where am I? I think it's a difficulty that, at least the churches that I've been connected to over the years, to look at someone who is educated in a field, doesn't matter what the field is, and think that they are, Capable of humbling themselves. And so I think part of this stumbling block that you're kind of asking about, like, how how do we buck that particular trend? How do we make sure that our attitudes stay more in line with God's plans? The, The foremost is to really accept every ounce of God's efforts to humble us. And, you know, one of the things that has occurred, especially as I've kind of talked to those who are 20 and 30 years older than me, as I'm now in that middle age space uh, at the very edge of it uh, on the upper end of the spectrum is the fragility of human, of humanity. We are incredibly fragile beings, emotionally, physically, spiritually, in many ways. And I think we really have to lean into that so that our folly does not rise above our faithfulness. And I think that's probably at least one of the pinpoints that will have us respond more effectively to messages from God. When he speaks to us, we we'll say, yeah, that's, that, that doesn't make sense to the world, but I, but I see God in that. I see Christ in that.
2: And I think it's interesting too, that the same sort of thing works on the other side. I mean, we're talking about kind of the elites and all of that. And the humility that comes with, I guess, entering that world and dealing with that world, but it kind of comes on the other side too. Uh, and maybe some of y'all have experienced this, but you know, dealing with people who have addiction or who are going through rehab, you know, it's like the other side, like that also takes humility too and not coming at it with prejudice or not coming at it with, you know, these people, they're not going to accept the truth when in reality, they're often in a great place to accept the truth. And and it may have been that Paul saw that as well with at least a few here, you know, probably were a lot of stern faces who weren't going to be turned, but maybe there were a few and he realized that, that was a need and it, that takes humility you know he could have just brushed it off and just said well forget these people obviously they're not going to accept truth and he just goes goes on about his day but that's obviously not who he was
1: yeah there's the, there's a really great space there thinking about how different personalities and different brown, backgrounds afford different preachers the ability to reach different people I'm not going to be able to reach everyone with the kind of preaching that ends up being the product of my studies, but how can reach a different group of people? Brent can reach a different group of people. And until we learn to really embrace that and, and rejoice in that, we're always going to end up being slightly deficient in our goal to really apply this broad message that uh, Paul is preaching here.
0: You know, not to just pick on education too much these days, but there, there's a widespread feeling in our culture today, that centers of learning that had in previous times been opportunities for new ideas and expansion and personal growth have turned in the opposite direction, that exposing yourself to something new, exposing yourself to something different is a bad thing and something to be avoided at pretty much any cost. Do you think that we've over made that point? Do you think that that's, that's uh, actually the culture we're living in?
1: Part of the answer is going to be regionally based. It kind of depends on where you live. Uh, but it's not exactly what you think when I say regionally based, because we don't know what we don't know. I can't tell you what's going on in the colleges, in the uh, public schools, private schools, home school settings, beyond my own experiences. But the, and this is where I think this comes in. The rise of the weaponization of news through public sources, paid sources, and social media has shaped our vision of what actually takes place. And here's my illustration of this. If there actually were lots of kids dressing up like animals and using litter boxes in public schools I knew enough public school kids who have phones with cameras that we would see thousands of videos of that the moment it happened, because that's human behavior. But we don't actually see that. We see third-tier reports. Oh, this is so awful. Now, that's a huge problem in and of itself. But it does reflect on our ability to kind of appreciate what's going on. I think there are some conflicts from culture and Christianity that are generational in nature that will always be there. And our failing isn't those institutions. It's in our pulpits, our Bible classes, and our dinner tables, where we do not allow our families and our faithful friends and our brethren to interact with these difficult questions until they're in the most formative times of their lives. So if we don't talk about difficulties of the text, questions of identity, until someone is 19 and away at college— they're not going to get good answers cuz all their buddies are just as dumb as they are. Um, I was dumb at 19. Uh, sometimes I still recognize how deeply ignorant I am, and sometimes I don't remember how deeply ignorant I am. So like uh, we've got to do a better job earlier of really tackling some of these str- like really difficult theological uh, sociological issues before they're in an environment where it's challenging. And I don't think it's the academic institution that does that. I think it's a consequence of preaching, consequence of leadership, consequence of teaching that can be addressed independent of your education, independent of your social status. Um, And you see actually Paul doing that here. He knows the culture in which he preaches. I think that's something that's important for all of us, regardless of the environmental choice you make for where you're going to get your education.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Overall, I mean, a lot of it depends on the choices you make. I mean, clearly, if you want to go somewhere that's going to, you know, have the safe spaces and cater to victimization and I mean, you can do that. I mean, if that's what the kind of education you want to get, um, that's not going to allow people to speak and all those kind of things. I mean, those colleges and universities are out there and and hopefully, you know, this comes down to the conversations that uh, Philip was talking about. I mean, hopefully as parents, we're thinking about that and considering where we're sending our kids. Um, you know, your, your question about the new ideas and strange teachings and all that. I mean, yeah, like a course that exists out there, but I do think it's been overdone in the conservative circles, which, I mean, I think we've run in for the most part, this, you know, over concern, I guess the way I would say it is just an over concern about thinking, you know, like, no, we need to think we need to be willing to challenge ideas and to think And and when I say that, I mean, according to scripture, looking to scripture for answers and not merely looking to tradition, which, you know, tradition can be a good thing. It can be a helpful thing. So I'm not totally against it. But we also have to be open to the idea that maybe something else could work too. And, you know, for all the things that happened in COVID, I think that's one of the things that we saw is just, you know, we can do things in different ways and, we're good. I mean, that that's fine. We, we don't, you know, some, some groups now we're one of them and we are completely different in how we operate. We don't, all we do on Sunday morning is worship. And we, that's very intentional. And we do Bible classes on Sunday night. And, you know, if we would have done that 10 years ago, some people would have lost their minds thinking, you know, we can't do that. But it's just, sometimes these situations just open the door for us to rethink things. And I, I think that's important. And really education can be that way. And I do think Acts 17 has been a little bit abused in the past um, just in terms of, you know, this, these are the dangers of education and thinking and all of this. And I don't really think that's the, the point here at all. He's coming into a pagan environment and he's he's having to completely up uproot their thinking. It's just, it's not, they're all like this. And yes, it's a center of learning and all that, but it's a center of pagan learning. So, I, I mean, it's a completely different environment, which is what Philip was saying earlier where your environment makes that difference. Um, And we just have such a deep uh, philosophical battle on our hands right now on so many different levels, sociologically and psychologically. Our world is so caught up with expressing ourselves as individuals of finding meaning in self and all of this. And so, yeah, I mean like the universities and the colleges, they play into that, but that's because that's what the world is. And the church as Philip referenced earlier in the pulpit really needs to stand against those ideas and be pointing people to truth and teaching us to align ourselves with truth, not trying to make truth align with myself and who I imagine I am.
1: There's a lot of research, compelling research that suggests that one's commitment to their faith, whatever it was at the beginning actually increases as they kind of reach into advanced degree spaces. Those who identify or self identify as believers when you look at their educational background, when they get into undergraduate, graduate, and then further advanced degrees, the rate of them maintaining their faith is much higher than those who did never proceed down that same academic path. Uh, So there's a lot of good questions you can ask. Like, is it because of the degrees they seek? Is it, because it's all across all degrees. It's not just the narrow band of biblical studies degrees and the ratios of those things. There's, There's something more complicated than just learning outside the Bible and learning outside God's people is bad, which I think is a narrow, unhelpful perspective.
2: Of course, news and media in so many ways is used just as a a propaganda tool. And I think we we all know that from from all angles. Um, And I really think that one of the reasons people get this idea about academia is – They love whack jobs, you know, like they they put the people on PBS or whoever who say crazy stuff. And then that's what people see Um, or even maybe not quite to that level. But the, the guys who push the edge like Bart Ehrman and others, you know, they've done all this work and now they suggest you can't trust the Bible. And or there's other books of the Bible that aren't in the Bible that should be. And and it's all nonsense, but this is the sort of thing that often our people see, and that's what they associate with academia. And that's, these people are, they're anomalies. I mean, they're on the edges and I've, and I've done plenty of this as I know you, you guys have as well of reading really good scholars who I may not agree with on everything, but they do good work and they are focused on the, on the Bible and they believe it's inspired and, you know, so there is good work in academia. It's not just these people on the fringes who you find on, you know, the news channels that get all this attention. And I think that's one of the reasons for some of this attitude.
1: Yeah. It also produces just as much as the Bart Ehrman's get produced, the the Jordan Peterson's get produced out of that same space, Mm -hmm. you know, or he's not a true believer. Um, He's that most agnostic, I think at this current spot, well, because he says the things that we want to have said well, and we think are rooted in biblical principles, even if they're not, we go, yeah, there's a, there's a guy, there's that one guy.
2: He's willing to say it.
1: <laughs> Yeah. He's willing to say it. And like, and look, he gets canceled. No, he doesn't. He's getting tons of cash. Like, yeah. dude, his big thing is he makes money and he makes more money, not as a professor than he ever did as a professor. And he figured it out. Okay, great. But Here's a host of believers. Some of them share core principles with with us. Some don't. Who've been saying those same things for for decades, for millennia, you know. Um, and they actually are overwhelming in number. Um, and I think that's one of the things I really like about Paul's preaching in this is that he pulls from those kind of people, the well learned of his day, to advance the reality of God. He says, You don't know this, but here is here's your God. Here's your creator. And he has revealed himself to you and his son. Let's talk let's talk about it.
2: He's not afraid to pull truth out of wherever truth is. It doesn't have to be from the Old Testament. He's finding truth in other statements that he uses as tools for his own purposes. And I think
0: that's powerful. My philosophy as a parent was always That the best way to help my child deal with a sinful world was controlled exposure in specific circumstances. Don't just throw them out into the the wild and expect them to survive because they're good kids, whatever that may mean. But by the same token, don't lock them in their bedroom until they're 18 years old and, and cut off their internet and all that kind of thing allow them to to see what the world has, allow them to to hear false doctrines, to hear different points of view. And when they are children, when they're under my auspices, I try to put that in context for them. I, I try to say, well, I agree with some of that. There's other parts that I don't agree. Let's have a conversation about that. I think that a lot of parents are really paranoid about exposing their kids to the Stoics and Epicureans of the world uh, because they're they're not they're not able to handle it. Well, no, they're probably not able to handle it. That's your job. You're the parent. You help them handle it so that when the time comes for them to go out into the marketplace, they can exchange thoughts and learn things and challenge their preconceived beliefs. Because I would like to think that we're noble enough and godly enough to believe that the gospel is going to win the day. And the secret is not to get them to agree with absolutely everything mom and dad said, but to find Jesus, to find the gospel. And ultimately, that's going to be a personal decision. Even if I wanted to shelter them from all of the, the negativity and naysaying and ugliness and such in the world, I wouldn't be able to do it at any age let alone you know, their adulthood. So why not expose them to these things in a controlled environment where I can help them through this and help them ultimately learn how to make their own decisions?
1: Yeah. There's a thread of this, that proper parenting is about making sure that your kids are productive members of society in the future, stay out of jail, basically learn what right and wrong is, you know, get that concept down, but you will never save them by your parenting. Um, it is Jesus and the gospel that will save them. And that's a, that's, a, that's a thread that is so hard to cut. Like, no, but if I just do this just right, then I know that they'll be faithful in adulthood. The, the, the reality is we don't know. We don't know who else they're going to be exposed to. We don't know the difficulties they're, they're going to have. And we forget how rocky our development was.
2: We have to be committed to the same sorts of things that Paul is even in this text. I mean, he doesn't, he goes to people and he's reasoning with them. He is explaining, he's proving. I think we have to be committed to that too. Just like Hal was saying about believing the gospel is going to win the day. We have to be committed to the idea of truth, whatever it is. And our kids need to see that. Um, And yeah, like we, we can't force them to believe and we can't force their heart to be a certain way. All we can do is present the information and try to do it in a way that honors God and m- makes sense and persuade them. And it's going to be their choice. And that's really that's what Paul's doing here. It's what he does in Thessalonica. It's what he does in Berea. Very different situations in Athens, but it's the same thing every time. He's trying to persuade, but it's really it's their heart decision. He can't make that for them. You know, it, it, there's certainly ways we can damage the people who are around us, we can try to indoctrinate them and get them not to think. And that's damaging. And if we do that with our kids, I think that can be damaging. You know, don't think for yourself, just believe what I tell you. I mean, that's going to end poorly, but that's not what we see happening in scripture. And that's the sort of thing to kind of go along with the Phillips saying that I want my kids to see um, that we as a family are committed to truth. And that might mean that sometimes dad has to change his views. or mom has to change her views because we weren't correct. And, I think that's more powerful than sometimes even the times we have it right, that they learn that process because they're going to feel that
1: themselves. You got to accept that they will all be exposed eventually to everything you try to hide from them. And if you try to actively hide it from them, they will probably find sneakier and sneakier ways to find it. Not just through the internet, but this place called the library exists. You know, I lived in the pre-internet world and you can find answers to every possible question you might come up with by going to the public library and the librarians don't follow you around. If you want to go look at a book that's not in your age bracket, they don't stop you. They go, okay, he wants to learn. We love that he's here to learn. So like, it's not like, Oh, it's so bad today. Look, all that stuff existed 35, 45 years ago. It was all there. Uh, It's just a question of whether the person is curious enough to find it out. So once you accept that part of it, you can then get to a point where you realize That your kids' questions, similar or different than your own questions, give you a bridge to understand a world that has changed around you. And so in as much as in pop culture, they can define or describe to you the new vocabulary that emerges with each generation, they can also help you understand why that vocabulary exists. It's not just to silence the ability of the elders to hear what they're talking about. It's often in response to what they believe is a new higher need. I know a lot of folks that are younger than Brent and I, how all of us together probably are in our 40s to 50s that are now in their 20s and 30s. They talk a lot more about work-life balance as a destination for them rather than a status quo. Like, so my generation, work-life balance meant work and then you work some more. Then we're done working. You work some more. Then after that, you work a little bit more. Where they're very more focused on, I don't need a lot of stuff. I need to work enough to pay my bills and enough to stay fed. And maybe if I get blessed for more, I will use that to help somebody else. But I want to go read. I want to go explore. I want to go do. Now, intellectually, and emotionally, look at that and go. I can't get with that. Like there's, there's stuff I got to do, but they get to translate why that's a need. And so I benefit from that, remind myself of the, the value of rest. They also get to see the value of industriousness and the dialogue that exists in the middle makes both of us stronger.
2: How asked in his introduction, you know, how can people who are so smart not see this? But I think certainly that's an element of the story here uh, in act 17, but actually What's pretty interesting is all around the story, you know, Acts 17 and Acts 18, and the people who are not seeing it are the Jews. Paul's trying to convince them that their whole heritage has now come to this fulfilling moment. And they're all, I mean, not only are they rejecting him, I mean, they're chasing him all over the Mediterranean trying to kill him. I mean, they are so angry. They're following him from city to city. And that's why he ends up in Athens part of this humility that Philip mentioned earlier is I've got to really work on when I'm looking at someone and saying, why can't this person see this? I have to get to a point where I can actually say to myself, maybe I'm not seeing it too. Maybe there's things I'm not seeing um, because that's what's happening in in these texts surrounding Acts 17 in Athens is there's a lot of people not seeing it. People we would expect to see it. you know, There's religious leaders and And probably what we experience, I could be wrong about this. I don't know exactly what goes on with y'all and your work, but probably what we experience more than anything else is our own people not getting things, you know, the little squab squabbles we have at, at church and people get upset about this or about that. And meanwhile, you know, I'm sitting there thinking this is not a big deal or this isn't, you know, why are they seeing it this way? Or this has nothing to do with scripture or whatever the situation is. And it's our, it's our people not seeing it. And it's very easy and convenient to throw that on the atheists or on the elites and talk about how they don't see things and they, they don't want to listen to the truth. But really, I, I think the bigger concern, and I try to put this in the pulpit as much as I can, is really what's happening within these walls and what are we not seeing and are we changing? Are we willing to commit to truth? And I, you know, we see that with Berea, obviously, in the story just preceding this. And so, yeah, the message of Act 17, the, you know, that that middle portion is about that setting, but it's not in a vacuum. I mean, there's a whole story going on around it, and that really should produce humility no matter where you are or where you find yourself. You've been a Christian for 30 years, you still need humility because there's there's things that I haven't seen. I have you know, I've got to open my eyes to and sometimes the person that helps me with that is the atheist who was converted a year ago. And they see things from a different perspective that I've never even thought about. Um, so yeah, humility and dialogue are just so huge. And Philip talked about both of those earlier. I mean, that's just a, a big part of our growth, no matter where we are.
0: Thank you for listening to the citizen of heaven podcast. Please rate, review and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammond's channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammond's Citizen of Heaven, signing off.